music, news, interviews, live events, and more. Welcome to the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. Hey, it's Matt Pinfield, and I'm here with Kurt Vile on the Hivecast today. New album, it's called Waking on a Pretty Days. Of course, the opening track is Waking on a Pretty Day. And uh, Kurt, it's good to see you again, man. It's been a while. I think yeah, last time bro. we hung out... You were playing at the Hive House in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Three years ago. South by Southwest, yeah. which you just got back from, but I wasn't there. Yeah, Smoke but Rings I, uh, yeah, came out at that point, and you were doing some tracks, and it was great. I, it was Thank you. It was so much fun to see. So after touring for a while, did you take a little time off in between the records? What were you doing uh, at the time? I don't know how much time off I took, to be honest, because I, I toured like crazy. There was definitely some downtime after a while, which was nice. But, uh, you know, I was working on the record a lot as well, and also I had a, my second daughter. So there was a lot of never a dull moment, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, how old are you now? You're like, are you 33? 33. 33, right? 33. Yeah, which is amazing. So, yeah, you got second daughter. That's cool. I got two as well. Nice. So, Congrats. You know, that's what it's about. You yeah. know what I mean? It's crazy. You have two daughters? Two daughters, yeah. yeah. That's the way. Absolutely. So <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> so, you know, speaking of children and going back... Let's talk about you as a kid and your first discovery of music. Like, what were you listening to? I know your dad gave you a banjo yeah. when you were very young, and we can talk about that, but what are your first memories of music my, and what you were driven to? What did you mm-hmm. hear that you loved? I mean, my first memories of music, I mean, were of my dad playing records, you know, because obviously I was like three years old, so I couldn't, you know, pick out my own records yet. So I, my dad played the records, and he played, in particular, which I mentioned a lot, there was this one... And now it's my oldest daughter, a wildest favorite record, mind you. So it was, and she's almost three, but when I was about three, my favorite record was probably uh, Louisiana Man by Rusty and Doug Kershaw. It's like Cajun, rock and roll infused Cajun music. But uh, Rusty Kershaw, he went on to play with Neil Young on, on the beach, and he's kind of this like fat voodoo weirdo guitar player guy. So that was my earliest, you know, musical memory. Uh, but I don't know. I had the bug right away. I played the trumpet in fourth grade, and I was good at that. You know, I w- I didn't take it that seriously, but it was like really natural for me. And then, yeah, my dad gave me a banjo when I was fourteen. I wanted to be a guitar, but uh, you know, I played it like a guitar anyway. I, I just had, and then you know, in my teens, you know, I mean, I, for a while I listened to like what, like Smashing Pumpkins, like anybody else. I mean, you obviously. When yeah. did you start working for MTV? Yeah, I mean, around that time. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So I know those guys. They're not Billy yeah. forever. You yeah, know? yeah. So, yeah. And then, you know, yeah. of course, like, then the, I mean, I like certain classic rock, like uh, Credence and all that stuff, but then then the whole indie rock thing, I get, that was influential for me, you know, like Pavement. Then, of course, Sonic Youth, Dinosaur Jr., all these people, you know, I still love that stuff today. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, those records hold up. There's yeah, some great stuff up, there. Absolutely. So what was the first record you bought with your own money? I mean, when you were... And how old were you? Do you remember that? Honestly, I I did buy a couple cassettes, like U2 cassettes. Again, that, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I forgot about the U2. You know, that's the, like the, I was into U2 when I was re- pretty young, like not even a teenager yet, because my cousin was. And so I got like, what, like a U2 rattling hum, an octung baby when it came out. But then I do remember one of the best early tapes I got was that Smashing Pumpkins LOL yeah. EP. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, pretty soon I was getting, I was, I just love the old cassette days, you know, <laughs> two, three dollars by Pavement, Crooked Rain, you know. Or, yeah, or, Crooked Sonic Rain, Youth, Crooked Dirty, Rain, what a great you know, record. I yeah. mean, be- you know, when I think of MTV, to be honest, the most, mostly I think of Beck, like yeah. in the 90s, and that was like the most exciting thing for me in the yeah. 90s, because obviously he was like MTV's superstar, and he was like really funny back then, but in a, you know, 
Yeah, all, like putting had, like the William all. Shatner stuff into the videos. Like, yeah, he had it all. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely great. So, so your dad obviously really supported your love for music because of his love for music. How about your mom? Was she also into it? Yeah, my mom was into it. She was very supportive. Uh, she was uh, encouraging and uh, sort of liked to watch how I progressed. You could see that it was my thing, you know? Music was definitely my thing, like... In theory, I didn't even want to go to college except that all my friends were going to college, but she knew that, she could tell that music, you know, there was no reason for me to go to college because... You were going to pursue your music yeah. love. And, and, and I just, yeah. thank God it worked out. <laughs> I think it's great that it worked out. You know, so you started making your own like, CDRs when you were around 14, right? You were writing songs. You started right pretty much, you know, Yeah, I, mean, I got the band when I was 14, and I, I was definitely making tape recordings and stuff, but by the time I was 17... You know, because I was big into skateboarding, too. When I was 14, I, they were kind of tied. But by the time I was, like, recorded my first, like, song on a four-track, somebody recorded my song, you know, over the summer. Once I can't remember if I was 16. I was probably 16. But it blew my mind. I heard it back, and it blew my mind. And you were like, man, you know what? This is something that yeah, I want no, to that, that, that I was like, you know, music beat skateboarding, and I was, like, serious about it ever since in my own small way. I would put made my first tape when I was 17 and I was like recording at home and at a friend's house ever since, you know, and now, now, you know, obviously now I'm recording in studios too, but not that I, I still, I just yesterday I visited my buddy, old buddy, Adam, who's, you know, the front band of the war on drugs, which by the way, the war on drugs, I always said was such a great band name. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yes. I remember when KMFDM, there was an industrial band in the eighties who had a song called a drug against war. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, the war on drugs is a great name for a band. I was so glad that you guys, you, you, yeah, that, that's when you were in the band, really, how old I was in the guys? band for a sec, you know, that's, but that's really Adam's thing. Yeah. It gets, it gets a little mixed up in the blogosphere, but I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be affiliated with that. Sometimes I get, people just don't know. It's a different the, sound they, than your stuff. Yeah. What, yeah. yeah. I mean, we were, we're really close. He played in, in the violators for so long and we just hadn't seen each other in forever, but I went over his house and he had this amazing, he just always has gets more and more gear, you know. I wish I could have my own little studio, but instead I have my own little children, you know. <laughs> yeah, but well, but you know, like, it's an inv- that's an investment too. Believe yeah, me, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. I know that's an investment. You yeah. know, that's that's fi- you know, you, you make a financial investment and an emotional investment in yeah, your yeah. children. So, yeah, but you can go over and hang with Adam, right? And you do. Yeah, no, I did, and, and I uh, it was really cool just to record at at home again. It blew my, it felt really good. You you just get this like kind of magic nuance that you don't necessarily get in a super clean studio, but you know, having said that, everything in its right place, and uh, you know, my new record is definitely a studio production, and I, it's pretty slick. You got, you know, but it's uh, it's still got its nuances. It's just a little kind of, kind of different thing, you know. I love that it's called Waking on a, on a Pretty Days. Thank you. And, you know, D A Z E, as everyone knows, and you know, tell me about the cover, and the, you guys put this little documentary together, but the actual wall that was used by the graffiti artists. Tell me about this guy from Philadelphia who ended up doing that wall that you worked yeah, on together. Yeah, that's uh, Steve Powers, and his tag name is Espo. He's, yeah, ESPO, He's right. from uh, ESPO, yes. Yeah. And he's from um, West Philly, and um, he, you know, he's just been doing it forever, and he, uh, he has since blown up. He's flown all over the world to paint. He paints really good pop art vibes. I, I just like combining uh, music and art in this way, and he, it was serendipitous, really, because he contacted me about something else, and his name's definitely sounded familiar. I realized we had mutual friends, and I definitely heard his name. Like I'm friends with different artists in Philly, and it just like worked out because he, he asked me for using my music for something, and then, you know, we needed an album cover, and that was the most epic idea possible. So 
he did that for us. And um, he's a busy guy. I, I, you know, he would have friends visiting him, like tons of friends visiting him while he's painting because he's just always painting, you know. I'm just so glad to have that, like, uh, combine the art and the KV world, you know, Steve Powers world, art and music all together in one giant exploding plastic inevitable. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hey, but I think it makes sense, too, and I think I'm sure he's really, you know, loved being aligned with you like a Philly musician he likes and respects so much, you know? And I think that was cool the way that, that worked out for no, you. No, it worked out. I, I respect him now, too. You know. And um, I saw in the documentary where it says, a constant hit maker went back to the old title yeah. and brought you know but it was it was just very cool there's so many good things on there um so tell me about since late since smoke rings and you got such great response all over the world when smoke rings came out um great album when it came time to do this record and uh the violators that you're working with right now the guys how long you, those were the guys were they on the last tour and you decided to work with those uh, guys well again? Mm, well adam who i mentioned earlier he was in like the first leg of the violators tour or a lot of it for Smoke Ring. But actually, when I saw you, it was this guy, Rob Laxo, who's the newest, newer member of the Violators, you know, and he he played on this record a lot. And Jesse Turbovich has been a member forever. He played on the record a fair amount as well. Um, we were between drummers, so well, my friend Stella from Warpaint played on a lot of the record, and, and then a couple other friends played on the record. But one of the guys who played on the record, he's now the official member of the band, but... Uh, so we have a different drummer these days than we did back then. Did you tour with Warpaint? Is that how you and Stella got to know each other? Uh, yeah, mainly I was friends with Emily, and I met the. I mean, I met, I met them all at the same time at at, at uh, Primavera, but then I I just became sort of pen pals with Emily just because we played a couple gigs together randomly, and uh, but you know, and then Jenny, the bass player, she became a big fan of Smoke Ring, and then. She wanted me to play at her like wedding or something, which I couldn't do, but it was really nice. And then she came out to see me in Joshua Tree play a solo gig, and all this, I showed her early versions of Waking on a Pretty Day, and and you know we were between drummers, and she recommended Stella, who I knew was a great drummer, and I I had hung out with a little bit with, but uh, you know it was just like kind of another serendipitous magic scenario, well, you know. In, out in the desert, and she t- Stella saved the record. You know, she's such a good drummer. It's great and, that she yeah. was, and they're, they're such yeah. a cool band. Yeah, yeah. I really like them a lot. How was that show out at Joshua Tree? Play? Was it just you and an acoustic? That was just me. It was actually, I guess, booked late, and it was not that well attended. But guess what? That didn't matter. It was a. Uh, it was kind of like that dude ranch we were at together in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, remember we you were know, <laughs> times a million. <laughs> plus, plus, a little paradise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you and I were at that place that was kind of off yeah. the beaten path. It was cool. Where you played in the back but, living room, right? This was, was great. like, yeah, it was like the <laughs> Pioneer Town. It's a place called Pappy and Harriet's. It's like built on a western, like a western movie set or something, like just a, a or a deserted town or I, I can't. I, you know, there's one. so many of those old movie sets out there that I like a demand. Oh I mean, my god, know? it was it was awesome. It was amazing. It was amazing. It, it was, I mean, it, so you see it, how much of that stuff is still left there? Yeah, and. uh it, it's pretty cool to go back and think about all oh, those crazy old movies that were probably made in like the 30s and 40s and yeah. you know 50s yeah. in those places. Yeah. You know, I mean that's where <laughs> we always talk about not not to bring up something, but the Manson family they that's how they ended up living at Spawn Ranch because it was an abandoned movie ranch. Really, that's where they all lived there There's in the late funny 1960s. St- <laughs> so that was like there was all those places out there that were off the beaten path outside of Los Angeles or far enough off into the desert. Yeah. You know, that's funny. There's a funny story about um. When sometime in the 70s, there was thought to be the end of the world for some one of the million reasons it could have, you know, 
been, but like uh, Warner Brothers owned a Western set or something like that. But the one rule was like you couldn't stay overnight, but like uh, Neil Young wanted to park his trailer there overnight, you know, when the end of the world was supposed to happen. So they had to pull some strings for Neil and let him stay there. Over yeah. There. <laughs> they did the right thing by Neil. Yeah, yeah. There was a studio that Neil, Neil recorded some stuff out way up in the hills in that Malibu Pacific Palisades way. And, you know, when people think of Malibu, when they hear that story, they just they think about the poshness. But no, I mean, this is like, was an unbelievable, like, backwoods studio. And I remember being scared shitless, Kurt, because the road was so tight around the mountain to get up to this place that people would get up there and they'd just stay there. If they were, like, get, drinking or smoking weed or hanging out partying, they would not want to get in a car and try and go down that hill because you literally, if there was a car coming the other way, I mean, it was only felt like seven feet wide. Can you imagine two cars coming from one side around the mountain? Yeah, where was that? Where was it? It was in Malibu. I heard the studio burned down. I don't remember the name of it, but I was up there, and I just remember being going, we got to drive back down again now? Oh, <laughs> my God. It was Because there's no barriers. I mean, <laughs> if you go over the side, you're going down a mountain in your car. I mean, <laughs> over the mountain, tumbling. That's, that's funny. <laughs> that even reminds me of it wasn't as tight of a road, but John and Yellow, you know, my yeah. producer. Yeah, John's did, a great guy. From, he lives you met in him? Jersey City still, right? Yeah, have you met him? Yeah, I know John. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, he's a, obviously, he's like, I'm like, I'm like the son he never wanted, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but like, no, no, but we're, you, we're oh, tight. Funny. We're tight, but uh, he... <laughs> So he did Smoke Ring, just for like listeners who don't know, and he did the new record. Yeah. Um, but he came out to L.A., you know, much about what we're talking about when Stella recorded and other people. But, <laughs> you know, he hadn't been out there in since the 90s or something, and he's like, every hill, you know, like every hill in Echo Park where we were recording, he was like, he, I asked him to drive one day because we weren't feeling good, and it was in the morning, and, and, you know, the hills would just go up and down. So every time he'd be like, Oh, now we got to go up? And then, yeah. And they'd be like, oh, now we got to go down? I'm sure. like freaking yeah, out. Exactly. Now I th- we got to go up? I think he actually produced a record up on that. I know he did produce No, I, I know he up did Up there too, in that studio funny. I'm talking about, and I'm sure he was as scared shitless really? as I well, was. Yeah, he was probably like, now we got to go up? <laughs> now we got to go down? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of crazy. I, yeah. I mean, you know, I remember taking a Jeep on this. I was doing something years ago, Kurt, and I was taking a Jeep on this course, terrain course, and I was driving straight up in a Jeep. All I could see was sky. Yeah. And there was a guy riding with me to make sure I didn't kill myself. Yeah. But I will tell you that it was worse being in the passenger seat because you feel like you have absolutely no control of the vehicle than holding on to the steering wheel. You know what I mean? Going in, in a situation like that. That's amazing. So tell me, so the t- you know, what is not really the title track, well, it's close to the title track, mm. which is Waking on a Pretty Day. Nine minutes. Tell me how the song evolved into a nine-minute track. Well, I mean... It's not like I knew it'd be that long. I figured it'd be long, but it's, it's all about vibes. It's all about getting in the zone, you know, all about getting in this hypnotic, really pretty zone. It's all about pacing, being in no rush, but obviously keeping you sucked in, like listenable, making it pop sensible somehow, you know, the whole time. But it just has a, just the right amount of changes and pacing where it bridges it to the next part, to the next part. And, I, I you know... I just wanted to jam it out at the end uh, just to see it, what worked. You know, thinking I guess I'd fade it out or something, but it just, I couldn't do it, you know? It just yeah. felt too right. So Yeah, and you got to do that. You got to let things live and breathe. Yes. You know, there's there are no time constraints in that. You know, nobody's telling you that you have to make the song shorter, and I think that's no, cool. Sometimes they are, but this time yeah. I was like, no. <laughs> Did they actually, sometimes they <laughs> shorten that thing. Yeah, yeah like, I mean, no. the last record we edited, you know, like song like Runner Ups, yeah. you know? We had to edit that 
baby up, man. Sometimes you just got to edit things up, but it's just, we even tried to make single edits, you know, for this one. Like, it just was ridiculous. It's like, the only way you can make a single edit is just to fade the song out eventually, like, wherever it's at, yeah. but don't, like, chop pieces out, because the whole point of this song was, like, the pacing. You know, it's not like, yeah. it's not like I had that concept before I laid it down. You just figure it out as, as you go, but that's, like, the general vibe to a lot of these songs. And nice I know record. you, you know, you, maybe your dad probably had them, but you come across some old singles from like the 50s, 60s, and even 70s where it's part one and part two, and it's actually the whole song. They just fade it out in the middle and they turn it over and yeah. cut the other, the part yeah. two to the other side yep. of the 45, you yeah. know? And that's what they would do quite often. Hey, what were some of the first live shows, Kurt, that you went to see as a mm. kid? What was the, you know, as, what was the first concert uh, that you went to? Man, what was my. Or can you remember the first one that, that impressed you so much? I mean, you yeah, it? that's why I don't even want to mention necessarily some of my first concerts. Remember the ones embarrassed? It, yeah, I oh, don't be embarrassed. <laughs> no, Everybody no, went no. to something, but like no, but uh, um, let's see, so like early teens. You know, I I remember I did see I saw Beck at a uh, the Trocadero, which is a tiny, pretty tiny, especially for for the Odelay tour. Is just when it first came out, and I, you know, he started with Devil's Haircut, which was awesome, but then. Second song was that Novocaine song, and like right when like the song really kicks in, there were these like Rubik's rectangular, you know, super retro seventies Rubik's cube like light show, and just used for that song, you know, it's just like an explosion. Obviously, you knew how to put on a real show. That was probably the best early show I saw as a kid, you know. But, I, but you know, a lot of things I do is by association. We mentioned them earlier, so then I'm remembering that. But um, you know, I saw Pavement. I saw. I remember I saw, it was hot as hell, but I saw Lollapalooza when I was like 17 or whatever, that Sonic Youth headline, and it was everybody like Pavement and, uh, you know, other people I can't remember, but it was like all my favorite stuff at the time. Where'd you see that, outside of Philly? Yeah, it was in Philly. It was at uh, the, the Tweeter Center. Yeah. Or, I don't know if it was called. By Camden or something? Yeah, like Camden. Yeah. yeah. Camden being a, can be a scary place. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you I, you know, know. um. I'm trying to think, you know, I would go to smaller shows. So I'm like, like drawing a blank. I've Is it TLA a place, Theater? Li- TLA, more? yeah. I've seen in Philly? The TLA. That's a, the TLA is okay. I think they fixed it up, actually, which is good. But I, I always liked the Trocadero, but now they have some newer, swankier venues. And they're swanky in a good way. How about Electric Factory? The Electric Factory, that's awesome. I, I saw Dinosaur Jr. there, like Flaming Lips, Sonic Youth a bunch of times. Uh, that's a nice Nice venue. It is a great venue, it's, and it's classic. It's been there for so long, Yeah, you know, which is incredible. I, I live right by there, actually. Yeah, I mean, you still love Philadelphia. I mean, growing up around there. Now, did you grow up in Philly, or were you in a town outside of Pennsylvania? I grew Pennsylvania, up. Or Jersey? Like, I grew up in just directly outside of West Philly in a tiny town called Lansdowne, like a mile outside of West Philly, basically. Yeah. And and I still live in Philadelphia now. Um, I do love it. I loved it then. I love it now. Uh, it's my old stomping ground. How's it be? You know, how's it feel now? Like being a dad, having having two two daughters. It feels awesome. It feels. <laughs> how old is your oldest daughter? She's three. Well, she'll right. be three in April. Yeah. April. So she's really just like you said. She's listening to music you're playing. For oh her yeah. Well, she's also like super smart. Like a, like the things she says is just one like. You know, yeah, explode. it blows your mind. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. You all of a sudden look around and go, wow, they are little people. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. You know, With their is. own mind. And, yeah. and sometimes, you know, not only are they sponges because they absorb everything. Yeah, they which she is. Slate, and they're a sponge. And they remember everything that you say, too. Yeah. The things they come out with are just, my, my, they blow your mind sometimes. Oh, my God. I know. It's true. You know. 
And uh, congratulations on being in that second time Thank around. You. So tell me um, about touring for this whole record and, what, and what's going to be coming up in the next few months for you. Well, right. we're going to push it. We're going to tour like, you know, I guess I'm going to say we're going to tour like crazy, just like we did last time, you know. Um, we're playing all kinds of play. You know, we're playing Coachella coming up, which is like a funny first way to kick off a tour. And, and it's also not like, we're playing Coachella, and then there's a little time off. Then we really start touring. So it's like first gig is Coachella style. That's a little intimidating, but you know we'll do it. We'll take care of it. Yeah. Um, and then um, you know a quick tour of the states, like West Coast, East Coast, and then we we're over in in Europe doing like Primavera and a you know field day in London. But like you know really really tons and tons of of stuff. Just like last time, we we know the drill at this point and. You'll just certainly see us around, you know. We're excited. What was your What was it like the first time you went overseas when, when you went over to England what was it to play like? into Europe? For you, like, what, was it a, was it exciting to go over there? No, it was you, totally exciting the first time I went. The first time I went was actually with the War on Drugs, which was, like, the only time I really ever toured with the War on Drugs. And it was a ticket to, to Europe, and it was amazing. And Where was it that you played that one? Was it Primavera as well, or was it? A- no. These are, like, we were, you know, we played little miniature venues with a couple of people showing up, like that. you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool, though. And then I came pretty soon after that as just solo, and that was even, like, more DIY. But, like, I met some good, fr- you know, the Crack. There is this label in Brussels called Crack, K-R-A-A-K, and they uh, they get funded by the government to bring, like, interesting music over to Belgium for the first time, so they booked me this little tour around their festival, um super like avant-garde experimental stuff they're into the you know so you played all over belgium at that point like i played in places like that i play i mean i played belgium i played amsterdam uh somewhere in paris paris i, I can't even remember Germany, it's, everywhere probably. it's like yeah I play, but like you know and then since then i've come over to europe with uh the band or once in a while solo but usually with the band it's probably i've probably been over there you know, Smoke Ring was one of my favorite albums of the year when it came out. I put that on my year-end list. And I noticed that people overseas as well, you know, some of the people that I respect reading and some of the cool British magazines, they loved Smoke Ring as well. How was it like seeing going over there and seeing how people were really reacting and, and you found out that they really knew the songs and loved the songs? What was that like at the time? That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was great, right? Yeah. Was there a time when you just said, "Oh my God, people really are listening and, and they're really listening to words. They know my songs." You know, I mean, that's like I guess a relatively new thing. I mean, I, I knew, you know, I had fans gradually, so there was always some people. But after a while, you need, at least I, I need to sell out a, a room. You know. Yeah. <laughs> to feel, you know, I need, and I like uh, that started happening. You know, the different places depending where I am. Not everywhere, but like. Uh, that's an amazing feeling of people, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the goal, and to have it happen, especially at first, is surreal. Depending on where you are, if the people are uh, act normal or might act a little aw- awkward, it's there's definitely some growing pains yeah. about it, you know. But like, it's amazing. It's amazing. it's amazing. I think it's great. Have you seen any early reviews of the new album from over there? No, they're all going to happen soon, though. Yeah, I'm sure you'll start seeing them all pop up. Which yeah. Is amazing. Hey, you know, I want to, because of the things that I know you love and how diverse they are, Kurt, I wanted to ask you uh, one more question. I want to ask you, if you had someone you could collaborate with, living or dead, they don't have to be, you know, a lot yeah. of work, but who, who are, is there one or two people that you wish you could write with, record with, yeah. would be the dream? This is always a tough question, but um, it would have been cool 
you know, this is a recent thing, but I really love that guy, uh, Roland S. Howard, who who passed away a few years ago, but he's like the lead guitar, he was the lead guitar player in the band The Birthday Party, but he has yeah. a really amazing solo. He did stuff with Lydia Lunch, too. Yeah, amazing I have solo. all that stuff, it's yeah. great, yeah. Suppose he did, he died young, Nicky, man. Yeah, was, you know. yeah. Uh, um, he did this cool album with Nicky Sutton from the Well Maps, too, that... Yeah. This is just like a really now both deep those delivery. guys are gone. Yeah, they're both gone. You know, but they both live. You know, lives hard, lives the rock and roll style, and uh, they had their vision and they're like you know, a little bit in the gutter, you know, but like uh, totally great enough to have documentary made about themselves. And yeah, like that. And uh, but like he was just like the real thing, you know, Roland S. Howard. So that would have been cool if he would have been nice to me. Who would? Who knows? You know, that would have yeah. been awesome. Uh, and then who else? You know. So many people, that's it's hard to pick. Hey, one. just throw a couple of names out. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, it doesn't um, have to be one in particular. I mean, yeah, you know, somebody who comes to the top of your mind. Obviously, it would have been cool to to jam with Neil Young. I I would like I would like to play with Jay Mascus again, like more live style. You know, um, I I got to play on his solo record and it was cool, and I really liked the guy. And you know, we hang out a little bit, and he's nice to me and like supportive and blah blah blah. You know, I got to open for their. You're living all over me. Fifteen year anniversary show. Oh, the one they did where Rollins did the interview on on stage. No, it was it was after that. It was like uh, at Terminal Five, and it was like the fifteen year anniversary of their second album. You're living all over me. Which great was record. Hugely influential, obviously great record. And they had just had tons of special guests. I joined for one song, and that was cool, but it was so loud. And what song did you? Li- did you I played on that song alone, which okay, is cool. just it's off that album. Hand it over. And yeah. it was cool. I was. I'm happy to do whatever. But if I ever sat with Jay and play guitar, and maybe, hey, maybe the amps are in the other room, so I can hear what's going on, and yeah. like we could bounce off each other a little bit. You know, his, so- be fun. his solo record, Martin and Me, the one he did that live album, that acoustic yeah. record, is a great record. You it know, is. I love the that version of Thumb on there, which he opens with. Yeah, and you know what else I love on there, which I actually had him do for me at my radio show. Is stu- he came in the studio because we've known known each other on and off for years. I said, Jay. You got to do Repulsion for me, which was on the first Dinosaur album on yeah. Homestead. You know, before they oh, you told him Junior. to do it for Martin and me. No, he, oh, no, I, no, just, no, he just does for my radio show. No, oh, yeah, yeah. he was long up. Yeah. But I love the song, and he was kind enough to play it. Yeah, which is such a great track. Mm-hmm. And I just ran into it at the Portlandia premiere party because yeah. you know we're both in episodes of season. Oh, are you? I was yeah. trying to get yeah. one. I thought I had it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you gotta let you should let Fred and Carrie know. I'm sure they want Fr- you on there. I, I told him, you know, if you see him, yeah, say hello. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <will. laughs> Absolutely. Well, they've been on the podcast, Fred and Carrie. Oh, that's awesome. So they've been on here and done this, so I'm sure you'll check it out. But uh, No, I love Fred. I, I, love, I love them both, actually, but uh, there was like a small thing like where Trent I thought Trent I'd be that. And he was a fa- he's a fan of my music, which was awesome. He's, <laughs> I like yeah. that guy. He's obviously hilarious, amazing. Yeah, but but I, so the last time I saw Jay, I actually saw Jay and uh, Kim Gordon were all at the premiere. They were all hanging out. That's it was awesome. cool. So it was, that's awesome. a, it was a good day to see all of them. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was so happy he did Repulsion because that song just kills me. How can I activate? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love it. So great. Yeah. So it's, uh, and, you know, thinking about that first record before they had to change the name and throw the junior on the end of it, right? Yeah. Well, you know. I I'm, love that first record. Yeah, so do I. Hey, you know, Kurt, it's so great to have you here. I'm yeah. very excited about the new record. I want to tell everybody to pick it up. It's called Waking on a Pretty Days, and um, it's just great to have you back with a new record, man. We've we've waited a couple of years, but we're very excited to yeah. be doing it. Yeah, well, man. thanks, Matt. So it's, it's great to see you again. You know, I've been 
I've been growing up with you and good to have you now. Yeah. Right here. Absolutely. Thanks for coming and doing it, Kurt. I really appreciate it. That's Kurt Vile on the Hivecast. This has been the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. For all things music, news, interviews, live events, and more, go to mtvhive.com.